Howdy. I am not Pastor Frank. Though I'm not going to lie to you, I wish I had some Sussler jeans. I always wanted to be six feet tall or more. Joe, not that I'm envious or anything. Okay, I need you to picture this, okay? For those of you that are really young, you won't be able to picture this, but just go along with it, okay? Pretend you're picturing it, all right? The year is 1976, all right? All right, polyester is king. We're all wearing fabrics that are highly flammable and do not breathe. We're wearing polyester shirts, polyester jackets, polyester pants with white belts and matching shoes. It is an ugly, ugly time. The guys have long hair and ugly mustaches, and some of us still have mutton chops. Seriously. Not full beards, just the mutton chops. And by the way, anybody who grows a beard with mutton chops, you'll have to look this up online. It is ugly. You kind of look like Colonel Sanders, but not quite as good. Disco is playing on the radio. In the NBA, men are wearing shorts that are way, way too small. Don Money is playing third base for the Brewers. Yeah. <laughs> I am nine years old. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you were never nine. I was. I was nine, and, and, and I had a full head of hair. And it was long, like everybody else's. Yeah, it was a good time. It was a good time. Um, another important thing that happened in 1976, Alex Bartashevitz was born. Yeah, I know. I know. It was a great year. Great year. But you know what else happened in 1976? It was the Bicentennial. It was the Bicentennial. In the U.S., everything revolved around the 200th anniversary of our country. I was in, I was in third grade in 1976, and we made a quilt out of 8 by 10 sheets of paper that my teacher sewed into fabric depicting different things that happened in the 200 years of our country. Right? It was the great 4th of July celebrations. There was a wagon train, a literal wagon train, that went from the East Coast to the West Coast. Horses, the Conestoga wagon, the whole nine yards. And it traveled through the lower 48 in celebration of the Bicentennial. And it came through Eagle, Wisconsin. And I went to Eagle, and I watched the wagon train come through Wisconsin. I was thinking at the time, I'm nine years old. It would be cool to live to, to make it to the 300th anniversary of our country. That's the tercentennial, by the way, in case any of you were wondering. And I thought, yeah, that'd be cool. And, and along the way, if you'd lived through 1976, or unlike Alex, who lived through 1976, but actually have memories of 1976, you know, you would think it was cool. You know, what are we going to be celebrating like in the, in the year 2076? You know, what advancements are we going to have in fireworks that are just going to make this totally cool? Right? And uh, uh, so every once in a while, I'll be 109 years old at the Tercentennial. That would be cool. I remember being in my 20s, late 20s. I was married then and thinking about this thought. This has been a recurring theme for me, by the way. Um, 109. That's old. That's way old. And I remember seeing Johanna. Sorry, Johanna. Johanna was not old when I was in my late 20s. She's not old now. When I'm 109, she's going to be way old. She will be in her 80s. 
And I remember sitting there thinking, hmm. So if Johanna's in her 80s, she could be a great grandma. Yeah, I just heard her go, oh, it could happen. It could happen. She could be a great grandma. And then the thought occurred to me that if Johanna is a great grandma, that means I will have known that child's great, 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 great grandparents. And then the thought occurred to me, I do not want to live to be 109 years old. I'm hoping to be in heaven long before then. And, you know, we, we have these weird goals growing up, Right? You want to be an astronaut, you want to be a fireman. Some of us want to be a policeman and then actually grow up and do it. Um, you know, we have these goals, like you want to live to be 109 and see the tercentennial. You want, to, you want to do these things. You want to learn how to play the bongos, whatever. And it's cool, but ultimately, what does it matter? Right? What does it matter if I live to see the tercentennial, other than the fact that I'll be 109 years old and know the great, 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 great grandparents of Johanna's great-grandchild? What does it matter? Ultimately, what's the big deal? Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the opportunity to be here to worship you, Lord God. And we know that you know that you've called us to worship you wherever we are, Lord, that our lives are to be worshipped to you. And Lord, help us accomplish that. But we do thank you for giving us a place to come together and meet and learn and sing to you, God, as a, as a body. Lord, please continue to bless this time and bless this message. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I should preface this by saying two things. I'm a pessimist. You know, people say, oh, I'm not a pessimist. I'm a realist. I'm a pessimist, okay? You know, water is the glass half full, half empty. I'm a more the water's kind of poison, probably poison kind of guy. So I am a pessimist. That being said, my favorite book of the Bible is Ecclesiastes. And for those of you that haven't read it, you should. It's, it's great for giving perspective, really straightforward perspective. And in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1, it says, these are the words of the teacher, King David's son, who ruled in Jerusalem. Everything is meaningless. That's very uplifting, isn't it? Keep reading. It says, the teacher, completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. History merely repeats itself. It's all been done be- it has all been done before. Nothing under the sun is truly new. Some people say, here's something new, but actually it's old. Nothing is ever truly new. We don't remember what happened in the past, and in future generations, no one will remember what we are doing now. How many of you know your grandparents? Actually, knew your grandparents. How many of you knew your great-grandparents? Nice. Nice. Uh, how about your great-great-grandparents? Anybody? Anyone? What were your great-great-grandparents' names? Wilhelm and... What was that one? A lot of German names here. <laughs> Wilhelm, Heinrich. We'll just guess. Um, By the way, uh, those people up on the slide, that is my grandfather and grandmother. And that cute little boy, that's not me. That's my brother. That's my sister, because there are no cute pictures of me as a little boy. There just aren't. Um, It's genetics. What are you going to do? 
but I don't know. Like, that's William Thomas Fantry, by the way. The, the Fantries are, are very not creative with their names. That is William Thomas Fantry. My father is William Thomas Fantry Jr., who, oddly enough, went to high school with William Thomas Fantry, his cousin. The little boy in that picture is William Thomas Fantry III, who now has a son who's about to graduate high school, who, yep, oddly enough, is William Thomas Fantry IV. If you ever meet a Fantry, just guess his name is Bill. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, it says, I came to hate all my hard work here on earth, for I must leave to others everything I have earned. And who can tell whether my successors will be wise or foolish? Yet they will continue, or they will control everything I have gained by my skill and hard work under the sun. How meaningless. So I gave up in despair, questioning the value of all my hard work in this world. Some people work wisely with knowledge and skill, then must leave the fruit of their efforts to someone who hasn't worked for it. This, too, is meaningless. A great tragedy. So what do people get in this life for all their hard work and anxiety? Their days of labor are filled with pain and grief. Even at night, their minds cannot rest. It is all meaningless. You know, it's funny, that last bit. Uh, <laughs> even at night, their minds cannot rest. I didn't know what that meant until a few years ago. You know, you work hard during the day. You have responsibilities to do, and we're supposed to work hard, right? But I can't turn my mind off at night. I still think about the job. I can't tell you how many times over the last few years, and I, I need to preface this, that I, I work from my home. I telecommute into my job, but I will stay up all night. I will not sleep at all. And, and you know, I'm trying to sleep. I'd like to sleep, but I can't. So all of a sudden, it's 5 o'clock in the morning. Like, all right, and, the, and then they go, okay, if I fall asleep now... I'll get a half an hour of sleep. I'm just going to go to work. I just go downstairs, turn on the computer, and go to work. And you know, we're known for our, for our hard work, right? We must, Midwesterners, we've got a fantastic work ethic. And I, I don't know that we always recognize that because this is where we're from, right? This is what we do. This is how we were raised. We were born to work hard. But I, I work, for, <laughs> work for a company that is coast to coast. Actually, it's worldwide. And I, and I see the work ethic of the people that we have in the Midwest and the work ethic of the people that we have on, on either coast and in different parts of the country. We work hard. We work hard. We have, we have the extra added advantage here in Wisconsin. Not only do we work hard, we don't really care how our, our employer treats us. Right? Because I, I, I know it's different now for people that are, are going to work, but I can't tell you how many people I know grew up, went to college, went to, or didn't go to college, whatever, got a job, stayed with that company their entire career, and then retired from there. Because we don't like change, right? We're Wisconsinites. We like things the same. It doesn't matter how you treat me. I, I went to work. And we're, we're fiercely loyal to our employers. And, and we just, it just doesn't matter, you know, how they treat us, how much we get paid. It's, uh, it's kind of fascinating. And then all of a sudden, we're just done and we retire. So what's the point? In Ecclesiastes 5, verse 8. It says, don't be surprised if you see a poor person being oppressed by the powerful and if justice is being miscarried throughout the land. For every official is under orders from higher up and matters of justice get lost in red tape and bureaucracy. Even the king milks the land for his own profit. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. 
So how futile is it to pursue riches for riches' sake? There's no sin in having money. Not. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil, right? Not money itself. So how futile is it, though, to pursue riches for riches' sake? You don't get to keep it. You know, like I said last time I spoke, none of us gets out of here alive. Not meaning today. You all get to go home after service. But ultimately, right, we have to leave it to somebody else. It adds stress, doesn't it? Working hard just to, just to work hard, to gain more money, to get more stuff, it adds a lot of stress to your life. You know, the person who never has enough is never restful. They're, 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 they're not content with what they have, so they need to pursue. They need to get the better job. They need to get the better car. They need to get the better house. And in order to do that, you've got to get the more money. And it's very hard. It's very stressful. It takes toll on relationships. There was a, I, I, don't, I don't know, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they were talking about the, um, the top jobs for sociopaths. Um, yes! It was. The top job for a sociopath is CEO. And for those of you, I'm not going to go into the medical definition of sociopath, but in essence, you, you don't really care about people. You, you lack the ability to, to feel um, empathy. And so the two, top, the two top jobs for a sociopath are attorney and CEO. You can make quick decisions and not feel bad about it. You don't care how it affects other people, right? So you move on. Can you imagine, can you imagine being married to one of them? How tough that must be. Ecclesiastes 11, 9 through 10. Young people, it's wonderful to be young. Enjoy every minute of it. Enjoy every minute of it. Do everything you want to do. Take it all in. But remember that you must give an account to God for everything you do. So refuse to worry and keep your body healthy. But remember that youth, with a whole life before you, is meaningless. Happiest message you have ever heard. Most of what you feel now is fleeting. Okay? You feel good now. You wake up now. You get out of bed. No noises happen, right? You just get up. You go do stuff. That will go away. Strength, energy, memory, all goes away. All goes away. Like, I can remember 1976 seeing the wagon train. I don't know where my car keys are. Memory goes away. When I get up in the morning, it's like somebody's playing castanets, right? I get up in the morning, click, 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 Awesome. None of it lasts. And to make it worse, you've got to give an account for what you've done. You still have to face God, right? Foolishness of my youth. I knew everything when I was young, I think. I've forgotten it now. But you do, you reach those ages in your, in your late teens, early 20s, where you've just got life, you've got life figured out. You just know everything. You certainly know more than your parents do, because, you know, they've never lived or anything. So, you know, you tell them that, how they're wrong, and blah, 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 and then you, you realize how wrong you were, and then you apologize to your parents, and you hope you get back into the will. But as a, as a kid, you just feel everything. You know everything. And everything is like the, you know, the end of the world or the, the greatest thing ever. You know, find a shiny object. It's the best shiny object ever. Or somebody throws a rock at you. It's the heaviest rock ever. It's all foolishness. Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Oh, my gosh, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> Hang in there. Ecclesiastes 9, verse 1. It says, this too I carefully explored. Even though the actions of godly and wise people are in God's hands, no one knows whether God will show them favor. 
The same destiny ultimately awaits everyone, whether righteous or wicked, good or bad, ceremonial, clean or unclean, religious or irreligious. Good people receive the same treatment as sinners, and people who make promises to God are treated like people who don't. It seems so tragic that everyone under the sun suffers the same fate. That is why people are not more careful to be good. Instead, they choose their own mad course, for they have no hope. There's nothing ahead but death anyway. There is hope only for the living, as they say. It is better to be a live dog than a dead lion. The living at least know they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, nor are they remembered. Hang in there. It's okay. <laughs> Whatever they did in their lifetime, loving, hating, envying, it's all long gone. There is no longer, uh, they no longer play a part in anything here on earth. So go ahead. Eat your food with joy and drink your wine with happy hearts, for God approves of this. Wear fine clothes with a splash of cologne. Live happily with the woman you love through all the meaningless days of life that God has given you under the sun. The wife God gives you is your reward for all your earthly toil. Whatever you do, do well. For when you go to the grave, there will be no work or planning or knowledge or wisdom. In the end, doesn't really matter, does it? Happy, sad, wise, foolish. Once it's done, it's done. Your choices. None of what we, would, what we do will be remembered here on earth. I don't know who my great, what my great-grandparents' names were. When I changed jobs seven years ago, when I left Northwestern Mutual, you know what happened at Northwestern Mutual? They replaced me. Nobody cared. Country, that company's been around for more than 150 years. I only say that because when I left, I had a hat that said 150 years on it. And you know what? When I'm dead... The cubicle that I have sat in will long be gone. The building I used to work in is coming down. There will be nothing there that I ever touched. It will all be gone. I had a brother uh, who died of sudden infant death syndrome in the early 60s. And he's buried on the island, uh, Whidbey Island, in um, Puget Sound in Washington State. We left there in 1972. We moved away. The only people that have any memory of this, I wasn't even born yet, don't live there anymore. There's a grave marker. Lester Sean Fantry. They named him Lester. I like Michael so much more than Lester. <laughs> but his grave is there, and nobody knows. Nobody knows who he was. Nobody knows who his, who his family was. We're the ones that know. When we pass, my son's not going to know who Lester Sean Fantry is. Why would he? Why would he care? You know, 100 years from now, <laughs> when I'm 146, <laughs> no one's going to remember me. No one's going to remember this meeting. No one's going to remember today. So what does it matter? What does it matter? Ultimately, it, this matters only, and by this I mean life. What you do, how you do it, how you live, Ultimately, this matters only for your eternity and the eternity of those around you. Certainly, what you do today has an effect on the kingdom of God, and I don't want to push that aside because that's incredibly important. But what you do and what you decide to do has an incredible effect on eternity, both for you and the people around you. In Psalm 139, 13 through 17, 
It says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. You watched me as I was being formed in utter seclusion as I was woven together in the dark of the womb. You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. How precious are your thoughts about me, O God. They cannot be numbered. It matters because you were made. What does it matter? It matters because you were you. That God took the time to knit you together. You specifically, not you randomly. You know, it's not like he just took a bunch of parts, put it in it, and he, woo! There was a plan and a purpose to who you are and how you were knit together. Carefully, wonderfully, endowed with abilities and traits that make you a unique creation of God. You matter because you were created. You were made. You were made on purpose. In 1 John chapter 4, it says, Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God, but anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. He loves what he created. You know, we say God loves the world. That's true. He loves you specifically, individually, as his creation. While we were wretched, he still loved us. While we were gross and disgusting, (laughs) living our own lives, living a life of sin, before we came to Christ, he loved us. Loved us enough to ensure that we could live with him eternally. And that he could help us out in our lives now. He loves us enough to intervene. He loves us enough to adopt us into his family, cleanse us of our sins, so we can live with him in, 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 in paradise. That's why it mattered. In Romans 8, chapter 26, it says, And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. For God knew his people in advance, and he chose them to become like his son, so that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. He cares enough to see to it that what we experience will be used for our own good. For the betterment of our relationship with God and the betterment of the, of the people that we interact with on a daily basis. You know, we've all been the victim of other people's sins, some of us more than others. We've been the victim of, of poor personal choices, the, the choices that we've made. It's not always been somebody else's choices being inflicted on us. Sometimes we make really bad decisions. And God takes those experiences, those scars that, that were either created in us or that we created in ourselves, and we can use those within the body of Christ to make sure it doesn't happen to somebody else. Or we can help somebody walk through a very dismal time because we've been there. We've, we've walked those steps. We've felt that pain. And God can use what's, what's happened to us and use it for his good and for the good of ourselves. So what does it matter? It's important. In Matthew 10, verse 28, it says, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. 
They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Everyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. I love this verse because it says the very hairs of your head are numbered. And that makes me laugh. Because somewhere there's an angel in heaven learning how to do accounting. Let's see, he had 3 million yesterday, 2.5 million today. That makes me laugh. So what does it matter? God cares enough to see your deeds. He certainly loves you. He certainly, he certainly cares about you. Make sure the things that you are experienced are used for your own good and the good of other people, but he actually sees to your needs. Your emotional needs, your physical needs. The fact that you have food, you have shelter. You have people that you can turn to within the body of Christ when you, when you need a hand. You know, one of, the, one of the coolest things that I ever saw when uh, my now deceased mother-in-law moved up to Wisconsin, you know, we packed up the van down in, in Chicago and we moved her up here and I made a couple of phone calls and we had, I don't know, like eight, ten people show up from church and we had her moved into her apartment in like an hour. She lived up here for a year, decided she hated Wisconsin, went back to Illinois. Called people from church. We had that truck loaded. I don't know, it was like a half hour. It was incredible. I've, it was just, it was, I, it, nothing was broken, nothing was damaged, but everybody just kind of showed up, went to work, you know? That's what we do for each other. Right? So what does it matter? God sees to our needs. That's why it matters. Matthew 28, verse 18. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new dis- disciples to obey all the commands I have given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. He's always with us. Always with us. Gives us purpose. Right? He sees to our needs. He he loved us before we were lovable. He takes care of us. And he gives us something to do. With all the time that he took to create you, all the time that he took to knit you together, to love you specifically, to teach you specifically, he actually gives you something to do within his kingdom. All of us. doesn't matter who you are. doesn't matter what your capacities are. All of us are here to play a part. But there's more, isn't there? There's always more within the kingdom of God. There's always more to experience. There's always more of God to know. And as you grow, as you learn things, God prepares you for the next step, prepares you for the next thing that he has for you to do. Right? Some of us sit around forever wondering, oh, what does God want me? You know, what, is, what, is, what am I called to? What am I called to? God wants you today, right now, wherever you go, whatever you do, to be a part of his kingdom so that he can use you on a moment's notice. There's someone that you run into in the grocery store needs to hear about him. You tell him. Somebody at work needs help moving. Somebody at work has another need. Whatever. God wants you there and available today. The purposes of God are fulfilled in the moments. So sure, there's a big plan and a purpose to your life, but there's individual steps that you need to take on a daily basis to ensure that you get there. We sow into the lives of others, don't we? 
You know, the experiences that I have with, with you and the experiences you have with the people around you, we learn things from each other. We teach each other's things. We sow into each other's lives. Pastor Jim introduced me to my Savior in 1983. He's important to me <laughs> for more than just that. But that moment in time is important. The person that led Jim to the Lord is important to me. <laughs> because without that person, there would have been no Jim and maybe no me in the kingdom of God. The person <laughs> who led that person to the Lord, who led Jim to the Lord, is also important to me. Because if there's a break in the chain, what happens to me? I know, it's all about me, isn't it? But that's true with all of us, right? What does it matter? Because we sow into each other's lives. You know, the fact that we have more PhDs in our Sunday school teachers than any other church that Ryan saw on the internet <laughs> is important to me. Because those teachers are sowing into the life of my son. But they're also sowing into the life of the people that he comes in contact with. So God willing, if he grows up and has children, what you have taught my son conceivably will be taught to my grandchildren. That's why it matters. That's why it matters that we get together. That's why it matters that we learn things about God and why our, our, it's so important for our relationship to continue to grow with God so we can sow into each other's lives and sow into each other's future and to the future of other believers. That's why it matters. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. Why does it matter? God cares enough to be watchful for what we do and reward us for it. I know what we do, we do out of love for God, and we don't do it for the rewards, right? Here's my thing. If God wants to give you something and wants to reward you, who of us are going to say no? No, no, God, you just keep that. It's not why I did my stuff. I'm pretty sure when he, when he says, this is your reward, you're going to say thank you. And, you know, and the key thing to remember is, you know, the builder will be saved, but like somebody barely escaping through a wall of flames. Do you think somebody who escapes through a wall of flames is thankful? I would be. So we all get there. But we're going to have to face the judgment seat of God, right? And we're going to have to give an account for what we've done. And, and, and we're going to be rewarded or not. Either way, we get to go to heaven. So that in itself is a reward. So what is this reward that God's going to give us? What is, what is that reward? I don't know. It doesn't say. 
know, I'd like it to be Twinkies because when I'm in heaven, it won't matter if I eat Twinkies. But that's probably not it. I don't know what it is. But I trust that God knows me better than I do and he knows his creation better than we do. And when he offers us that reward, we're going to say yes and thank you and be appreciative for what it was that he's given us. Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. Keep this in mind. The teacher was considered wise, and he taught the people everything he knew. He listened carefully to many proverbs, studying and classifying them. The teacher sought to find just the right words to express truths clearly. The words of the wise are like cattle prods, painful but helpful. Their collected sayings are like a nail-studded stick with which a shepherd drives the sheep. But my child, let me give you some further advice. Be careful. For writing books is endless, and much study wears you out. That's the whole story. Here now is my final conclusion. Fear God and obey his commands, for this is everyone's duty. God will judge us for everything we do, including every secret thing, whether good or bad. So what does it matter? Apart from God, it doesn't. Apart from having a relationship with with your creator, life is meaningless. It doesn't matter. You have a short period of time to enjoy everything that you can here on earth, and boom, it's over. You hand everything else off to somebody else, whether you know them or not, it's gone. But with God, everything matters. What you learn matters. What you say matters. What you do matters. Because you matter to God. And he's incorporated us and he's adopted us into his family and he's given us things to do so that we can help each other out, so that nobody has to be here alone, so that we can be the flesh and bones, the hands and feet of our God, so that we can show the world what life, true life, is all about. That's powerheads. heads.